And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. We don't usually start the show off with interviews. It does happen periodically. But uh, today, right off the get-go is, gosh, what are we, five days away. We are five days away from this thing. Alyssa, I'm almost done with it. I'm almost done. I'm almost, and then I can stop. And, and then I can just start complaining about everybody who wins on the 8th. And joining us right now, looking to be one of those people that I complain about, is Rudy Yakum, who is the Republican nominee for Congressional District 2. Rudy, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Casey. Thanks for having me in today. Yeah, no problem. Um, see, last time we talked to each other is actually a lot longer than I thought, but um, how have things been going? You know, we're talking about family and, you know, the structure of everything and just the campaign trail and all that stuff. How's that going? Uh, things are going great. We've been... Touring through the district, hearing from Hoosiers. We visited every county several times. I mean, sometimes uh, even in a place like Kosciuszko County, we were there a few days ago. We made nine trips total to Kosciuszko County, and we've hit every county multiple times, meeting with broad basis of constituents, hearing what's on their mind, and really trying to give voice to their concerns and take those to Washington, D.C. after we win next week. So we had a pretty big announcement yesterday. We did. Uh, Feds raised interest rates again. Not a shocker. I think everybody kind of expected that to happen. Uh, things continue to get worse. They still continue to deny a recession, and all they're trying to stave off a recession. Yeah, okay, we're in a recession, guys. I don't know what I don't know what else to tell you. The only reason it doesn't feel like a recess recession is that so many people didn't come back to work that there's still job availability. That's the only reason it doesn't feel like it because we're not having mass layoffs. That's really the only the only metric out there. But I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Obviously, you know, a big part of this is congressional policy and spending and that sort of thing. And if you end up in Washington, D.C., this is going to fall right into your lap. So what are your thoughts on the Fed's uh, rate hike and, and where we're heading? Well, I think it's further proof that we were on the wrong track uh, economically and, and the gross overspending by our federal government racking up now north of $31 trillion in national debt. It's saddling our kids and grandkids with debt that's going to be very difficult for them to pay off. And as a result, we've caused massive inflation uh, within the economy. The price of gas, groceries, everything uh, is going up. And as a result, the Fed feels that the economy is a little overheated because of inflation, and they've got to raise rates. The, the interest rates today are reaching you know, really multi-decade highs, and, and they've got to, they feel like they've got to pull it back. And it's a reflection of the bad policies of Washington, D.C. We needed to get it under control. And that's why I want to take my business experience and Hoosier Common Sense to D.C. to work on things like balancing our federal budget. You know, I was listening to something the other day, and we, we obviously compare inflation right now with what happened with Carter, and we already know what happened with the turnaround after Reagan, and people are hoping for that. But one thing that I think a lot of folks are forgetting is that, you know, under Carter, they included houses in the the inflation numbers. They don't anymore. Right. So that's actually stripped out. And if you include housing, we're actually far worse right now than the inflation that we were dealing with under President Carter. So right now, we could be looking at the worst inflation that we've had since 1918. Yeah, it's, it's the worst inflation in, in what could be 100 years. And some of the problems even more locally here, uh, Casey, that are being generated are things like there are contracts. Uh, I was talking with a contractor here a few days ago, a guy that does small uh, small projects. And he said that there are places in his contracts now where um, there are opportunities for people to adjust pricing midstream when he's halfway through a project on a price that he's yeah. already given a customer. That's a real problem. Some of the material shortages uh, that have been created because of uh, too much money in the economy, because of federal overspending, not enough people working, it's causing real issues uh, in our society. And if you're a senior citizen, 
your costs for gas and groceries are going up faster than you can possibly raise your income because of your fixed income with Social Security and maybe a small pension. So our seniors are really being hurt the worst on all this. And then if you're a young family and you want to go buy a home, you know, the interest rates are going up now where your 30-year mortgage is uh, is at a 30-year high. And that's a, that's a real problem. All right. So what I did, Rudy, I hope this is okay. I opened up my my Discord server to right. questions for you. So I'm throwing you to the wolves here. Okay. This is this is the this best is, because I want to know what's on your listeners' we, mind. And I, you know, hearing what's <laughs> on other people's minds is part of what uh, you do when you run for a federal office. Uh, we call them the horde for a reason. <clears throat> what's your stance on the Second Amendment? Uh, very simple. Uh, the Second Amendment says that the right shall not be infringed, mm-hmm. and shall not be infringed means just that. So you agree with the Tenchcox philosophy that, like I believe in, that we should have rocket launchers. I don't know about rocket launchers, but uh, but but look, by and large, like we shall not shall not be infringed means shall not be infringed. And all right, what about you know, things? You, sorry, I mean to interrupt, but what about things like bump stocks and things like that 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 come up uh, period? Because even Trump was in favor of banning bump stocks and things of that nature. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with what a bump stock is, but you know, just things like that, accessories and things of that nature. You know, by and large, people have a right to self-defense. So let's start with that. People have a right to defend themselves. And the Second Amendment, the reason that it's there is so that people can defend themselves. And when we start taking away guns from people, uh, they don't have the right to defend themselves. What we know for sure is that criminals always have access to guns. Like, they'll always go and they'll always find a way. And and look, we shouldn't allow criminals to have uh, guns. We shouldn't allow convicted felons to be out buying weapons. So I support, um, you know, restricting their ability to go out and buy weapons. But at the same time... Uh, you know, an armed society is one that uh, generally is, is sometimes a little bit more polite. And so um, so in, in our house, look, we're Second Amendment believers. Uh, we are well protected in the Yakum House, uh, always have been, always will be. Um, but we, uh, we are Second Amendment supporters. So two things dovetailing off the Second Amendment that are now national issues could be, you know, we'll get into the NFA maybe another time because the Supreme Court's hearing a case that I think could just blow that apart right now. Um, but suppressors and also national concealed carry. Uh, mm-hmm. These are kind of big things. A lot of, we have a lot of truckers who listen to this, and they're frustrated that they can't carry when they're driving because of that. Uh, we have a lot of competitive shooters and recreational shooters who want suppressors, one to help their neighbors, so they're not constantly making a racket, also to help their hearing. Um, you know, Nancy Pelosi will tell you that that will allow some some guy to sneak into her home and and uh, kill her husband without anybody knowing about it. That's obviously not the case. But do you stand on any restrictions of those? Do you want to kind of keep it status quo, or do you want to alleviate some of those restrictions? I heard someone call the uh, a law around suppressors. Uh, they called it the Hearing Protection Act. Yeah, um, which uh, which seems to make a lot of sense. But then you, you get into things like um, you know some of the national gun laws. Look, my my dad's a truck driver, owns a small uh, trucking business. And when you're traveling uh, across the country, the level of difficulty of having to pay attention to every state law, um, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, Casey, because the, the Second Amendment is something that is protected. Like our founding fathers, you know, they, they did it right when they got together and they made the Second Amendment. And, and one of the things that you look at on that amendment is this, they viewed it as a, important enough to, to put it in our Constitution, in our federal Constitution. And so one of the things that's never made sense to me is why these federally protected rights are heavily regulated at the local level. It just doesn't make any sense. All right. Makes sense. All right. Next up, um, let's see. What will you do to make sure that we do not have another national lockdown again? Yeah. I think a lot of people are starting to realize that uh, people like myself are correct during the pandemic. 
Um, but nonetheless, a lot of lives were seriously damaged as a result of it. People are worried that, you know, something else is going to come along and it's going to happen again. Well, let me start by saying I'm on the side of freedom. And you, you have to think about what is the role of government in a pandemic? The role of government is to educate and inform to the best of their abilities with what they believe to be true at that time. When you go into pandemics, the, the truth of the matter is you oftentimes don't know what's happening. You don't know what's going on, particularly if it's a, a significant issue that, or significant virus that you don't have a history with. So the role of government is to educate and inform, not to mandate. When the government educates and informs to the best of their abilities, their job at that point is to stop and let people make their own decisions. An educated and informed society, look, I believe the American people are smart. And when they're educated and informed, they're better able to make their own decisions. But the American people need to make their own decisions and not be mandated or mandated or dictated to as they go out and make decisions. So pretty much what Sweden decided. Sweden was like, look, this is the information that we have. You guys go do your thing. And I think it's Sweden the, ended up being right. I think it's the right approach. And, and you have to, um, when you have a government that takes the role of, of researching, educating, and informing to the best of their abilities, to the best that the science shows at that time, you then let the American people make up their own mind, make their decisions on what they believe to be best. Again, the American people are smart. They know how to look at data. They know how to look at facts. They know how to look at information, make up their minds on what they believe to be best for them and their families. Making policy, mandated policy for 350 million Americans is a very difficult thing to do. The reality is things are different in every state. You know, in the state of Michigan, I'll just share a, a quick pandemic story. I had a friend of mine um, who was out on a boat. He was on a John boat by himself on Eagle Lake fishing in the middle of the lake by himself. And a DNR officer came racing over to him and said, uh, I'm sorry, but the governor's mandated that you can't be out on the water in the middle of COVID. Well, that's because her husband wanted to be on the water with his boat. These policies, I mean, that's, that's why that happened. One of the waters clear, right. I guess. Yeah. But, you know, these policies, they, they, they make no sense. And so... You know, from my perspective, Casey, the, the role of government is, is again, to, to research, to educate, to inform as it relates to big national pandemics, and then let the American people make their own decisions. All right. So this is a big one. This one came up several times on the Discord server, uh, and it's it's a recurring theme on this show. Uh, January 6th, prisoners, whether you agree with prosecutions or disagree with prosecutions, whatever, the big concern is that a lot of them were held for extended periods of time without charge without hearings, sometimes in solitary confinement for months at a time. And these are, you know, these are people who mostly are being convicted of parading. That's the actual charge, being convicted of parading. Um, what's your stance on on some of the January 6th prisoners who are still being incarcerated for relatively minor crimes? Yeah, like I, I think people have a right to a speedy trial. I think people have a right to due process. You can't, in the United States, lock people up, not charge them, and just hold them indefinitely. Like, that is not how our system and our process of, of justice is set up here in the United States. So, you know, to the extent that there are people who haven't been charged, I think that's wrong. You have to um, put people in a position where they can have access to a speedy trial. It's part of a fundamental right to justice and a proper due process. And so you can't just sit there and lock people up forever. Now, one of the things that kind of dovetails on this with another question, and also I'll tie this in with something that... Uh, Representative Jordan has said he wants to investigate how January 6th prisoners have been treated. Uh, we know that some have actually been mistreated. We know that the Marshals Service has gotten involved in that as well. So he wants to investigate the FBI and the Department of Justice, Department of Homeland Security, things like that for that and other offenses too. 
what is your stance on dealing with these federal bureaucracies that appear to have been completely weaponized against the American people by this administration and are now being turned on their political rivals? And, and some of them, going back to the IRS and what happened with the targeting scandal under Obama, and then we had four years where they weren't being turned on anybody, and then suddenly they're being turned on everybody again. What's your position on that, and would you back Representative Jordan and other Republicans in Congress if they start these investigations and really start pursuing you know, some kind of an answer as to what's going on and maybe even, you know, seeking removals of people if that's possible. Yeah, what I'd like to see in a, in a broad general sense as it relates to our federal agencies is a lot more transparency. You know, when people know that other people are watching, all of a sudden people end up being on better behavior. And so what I would be in favor of is, is transparency to the extent that we from the Congress can do things to help make sure that we bring more transparency into, into what's happened with some of these federal agencies. Uh, I think that's a good thing. What I also hear from people within the district here, Casey, is that, oh, look, our federal agencies are run amok. Some of the overburdensome regulations that we have from our federal agencies with no disclosure as to why they do some of the things that they do or, or what their ultimate end games are, it just doesn't make any sense. And so to the extent that we can have more transparency within our federal agencies, I think that's a good thing. I also think that Congress, by and large, there are so many things in our federal government that Congress has has delegated or relegated their authority uh, on a number of matters to the executive branch that, you know, I think some of the uh, executive branch powers need to be uh, reined in a little bit. And it's Congress's job to, to make sure that they have the proper oversight uh, over things that the executive branch does. Would that include the executive branch's powers of conflict, war, sending military personnel overseas, that sort of thing? Well, I mean, you know, in order to in order to actually have a full war, I mean, you do have to have a, a declaration of Congress, and so you know, Congress theoretically, theoretically, right? I mean, Congress is uh, is supposed to have a uh, supposed to have a say in those things. All right, we're talking with Rudy Yakum, Republican nominee for the second congressional district, uh, and he's uh, running to be your next congressman here in the state of Indiana in District Two. We'll be back with Rudy Yakum coming up. News Talk ninety five three, Michiana's news channel. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Rudy Yakum, the Republican nominee for the congressional second district race in Indiana. I said that all jumbled, but you know what I'm talking about, uh, Indiana second district. And he is running to be your next congressman. So, Rudy, uh, once again, appreciate the time. Thank you, you very bet, much. Casey. Thanks for having me on. I want to apologize to the folks on Discord. I told you I tried to get through as many of these questions as I possibly could. I'm just not going to get through all of them. We're just not. But, um, you answered some of these last time you were here. That's right. But they keep coming up because, again, these are the most important issues of the day. So right. I'm going to kind of lump two of these in one question. Critical race theory in schools and also the issue of, like, drag queen shows, drag stuff in schools and things of that nature. Man, what's your what's your stance on that? And, I mean, is there even anything you can do as a congressman to help alleviate some of that stuff? Well, you know, first of all, I think broadly generally speaking schools ought to teach like two plus two is four and then stop right like that's but that's it. racist you can't do that's that. it like, you know in, in in the rest of that stuff like it just plain flat has no place in school and i said before and i said last time on your show casey that you know if, if they're teaching in schools things that i would get in trouble for at the workplace that right. i would say in the workplace and hr would get me in trouble we're teaching the wrong things in school and I think these are issues that are best decided at the state and local level in terms of how we teach things, uh, you know, in school. And so, yeah, I think the federal government has no place coming in and you know t- telling schools locally what they uh, should be teaching. Um, but at the same time, we are teaching the wrong things in school, like period, end of story, when it comes to a number of those issues. And so, I, I do support um, you know removing that type of stuff from school. And you know, as it relates to some of these uh, the, these gender issues, it just has no place, no place being taught. 
uh, in school whatsoever. All right. So what I found very interesting, because there was a, a period of time, I don't know, we go like five, six years ago, real big push, it might even before that, to ban conversion therapy. And for those of you who don't, conversion therapy is if uh, you're gay, there's a therapy that, you know, is supposed to make you straight again, not gay. Um, and a lot of people were doing this to kids and it wasn't, it wasn't pleasant. I mean, electroshock and that sort of thing. But there was a movement to ban it altogether, not even just for kids, but altogether because you're born a certain way, according to the LGBTQ community. You're born a certain way and it is immoral and inhumane for you to be converted to something that you were not born as. And I find it very interesting that this is the same group of people who wants to inject children with hormones, stop their natural process, and then put them under the knife and actually cut things off. And I wanted to get your perspective on gender transitions for minors and how you're seeing even medical associations that are supposed to be respected in this country pushing this type of thing now on children. You know, Casey, if you look at um, so many of the issues in this country that we have a, a threshold, an age threshold, that you have to be a certain age to do certain things and make certain decisions, uh, you know, the age is usually you know 18 or 21. You can't join the military until you're 18. You can't have, a, a, can't have alcohol until you're 21. You can't smoke until you're at least 18, at least here in Indiana. There's a number of things. You can't drive until you're 16. There's a number of things that you just can't do as a minor, period, end of story. And how something like this, these critical decisions that impact for the, you for the rest of your life, how we can ever put a decision like that in the hands of a child is beyond my ability to comprehend. One of the questions that we got, and this is a more personal one. One of the questions that we got was from somebody who said, how will you, and you've kind of addressed this in speeches on the campaign trail. I've seen that, but maybe some people in the audience haven't heard you talk about this. How will you continue Jackie's legacy? Because you've talked about that. Um, you were obviously good friends with the, with well, you are friends with the Walorski family. You're good friends with Jackie. So how will you continue her legacy and the work that she did in Congress? Sure. So as I've traveled the district, you know, there's a couple of things that are, have been really apparent to me. Uh, you know, first of all, Jackie would go everywhere all the time around the district and really listen to Hoosiers. So I think part of my role as a federally elected representative is to you can't you can't represent people that you don't know, and so I've been spending a lot of time around the district hearing from Hoosiers, hearing their concerns. So I think it starts with that. But secondly, um, Casey, you know, I think about the things that Jackie stood for. It was conservative values. It was a an approach that just said, you know, we're going to go to Washington D.C. represent the industries in our district, whether it's the RV industry, the medical device manufacturing industry, the boating industry, our farmers, you know, our workers here in the district, and and really focus on making sure that their voices are, are heard in Washington. And so um, the other thing, I'll tell you this, so many people around the district, I would have come up to me and just say, you know, Rudy, I'm a veteran. And I had this issue with our, our veterans affairs, uh, uh, you know, the VA, and um, I called Jackie's office and she helped me. Or, you know, I had an issue with my Social Security card and, and, or get, get, collecting my benefits. And I called Jackie's office and she helped me. And so for me, I want to be someone that has a, just a, a fundamentally solid district staff that's responsive, that when people call and they have an issue, they know that they get the help that they need. You once told me in a conversation, again, full disclosure, I've known Rudy for years. Um, you once told me in a conversation that you believe in actual outcomes or actual victories, not moral victories. I think that's that was right. how you phrased that's that. That's right. What does that mean 
Because obviously every politician who goes to Washington, D.C. is going to have votes that tick off their constituency. It's going to be a thing that you're never going to you know, appeal to everybody. But what does that actually mean? Real victories versus moral victories. Yeah. So a moral victory is what let's talk about what's easy to do. Moral victories are easy. A moral victory is running to a camera, lighting your hair on fire and screaming and yelling about something and then losing the actual issue on a, on a, whether it's on a vote or just losing the issue in the hearts and minds of the American people and saying, well, we tried. That's a moral victory. That's easy. What's hard is pulling a broad group of people into a room and saying, these are the issues that are facing the country, whether it's inflation, security, or energy independence, and say, now, what are we going to actually do about it? How are we going to actually solve inflation? How are we going to balance our budget? What are the things that we need to do to actually fix these issues and then getting a resolution? That is an actual victory. Finding resolutions are actual victories. Yelling and screaming all the time, those are moral victories. And, hey, we got to have moral victories, too. I'm more about actual victories than I am moral victories. You also told me that there's really three things that could sum up you as a, as a candidate. You remember what those three things were? Remind me. One involved a certain ally in the Middle East. One involved fiscal responsibility, and then one involved socialism. You remember what those were? Uh, well, so talk about supporting our, our friends in, in Israel. Yep. Uh, our, our single biggest uh, single biggest friend uh, is, in the, of the United States is certainly the nation of Israel. Congratulations uh, to Bibi, by the way. Yeah, congratulations. Big day for uh, big day for him today. Um, the other one is, you know, look, I'm on a lifelong mission to balance our federal budget. That's something that uh, I've not been shy about since I was in my early teen years. Um, and then the, you know, the other one is, look, when I was in uh, in college, I got to find it. It's on a VHS tape somewhere. Um, but I gave a, a persuasive speech on a topic of my choosing. And uh, the topic I chose was why socialism fails every time it's tried. And I clinically walked through a few hundred years of human history, uh, global human history, uh, where socialism has been uh, tried to be implemented around the world. And it's never, never, not one time ever succeeded. And so why should we try it here? All right. I know we're giving Alyssa a heart attack, but because we're going over time. Predictions for November 8th, not just for your race, but for the country. Yeah, broadly, look, I think we're going to have a big night on November 8th. And I'll give you uh, one example, and, and I know you're, we're over time here, but one example is this. In Lake County, Indiana, the first congressional district, Democrats are playing defense in Lake County, Indiana. When did yeah. we as Hoosiers ever think? Now, Jennifer Ruth Green over— and she's in, great. She's great. She's an Air Force veteran, um, just a, a fundamentally solid human being. She's a great American. And she's got a real shot at winning that. When did we ever think that Republicans would have a shot at winning a congressional race in Lake County, Indiana? Said no one ever. Wouldn't it be something if that changes things and Gary gets revitalized and Hammond gets re- Wouldn't that be something? It would be, inc- it'd be incredible it's for the It's almost unthinkable. It's within reach, Casey. It's within reach. So nationally? Big night nationally. Republicans are going to take the House. And it will not be by a slim margin. We will have a, a wide margin in the House. Uh, I think, what, what did you say on your uh, your sheet? You know, clear, real clear, clear politics yeah. is looking at 228. At least, I think that's a yeah. good floor. I think 228 is <laughs> a good floor There's for still us. 33 toss-up I, races I, with I, that projection, by I the way. I think we're looking uh, north of there. And, and uh, you know, hopefully we take the Senate as well. I think we've got a, we've got a real shot at taking the Senate. All right. Last pitch. Where can people find your uh, website? Learn more go about to RudyForIndiana.com uh, to learn more. RudyForIndiana.com. And, and look, what we can't do is forget to vote on November 8th. We have to get out and vote. I'm listed twice on the ballot, once for the general election and once for the special election. 
to fill out the rest of what would have been Congresswoman Walorski's term. And please don't vote down ballot without going down and making sure that you vote for those nonpartisan races. Because if you just vote down ballot and you walk away, the incumbent wins those automatically. They don't get, you know, basically the whoever's challenging them doesn't get a vote for school board, things like that. That's a big deal. So make sure you vote for the nonpartisan races individually because voting down ballot will not tick anything in those boxes. Rudy, great to have you in here, man. Best Thank of luck. Thank you, Casey. Appreciate, Appreciate you. Got more coming up, 95.3 MNC.